Uh, let's turn our Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 11 through 26. And we are told here that then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven that they were testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit, and he said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And so he left them, and getting into the boat again, he departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. And then he charged them, saying, Take heed. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and the leaven of the Her- and leaven of Herod, rather. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, uh, "It is because we have no bread that he said that." But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, "Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear?" Do you not remember that when I broke the the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And when he broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments uh, did you take up? And they said, seven. And so he said to them, how is it that you do not understand? And, And then he came to Bethsaida. And they brought him a blind man, a blind man to him, and begged him uh, to touch him. And so he took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, uh, he asked them as if uh, he saw anything. And he looked up and he said, I see men like trees walking. Uh, and then he put his hands on his eyes and again. Uh, made him to look up, and he was restored and saw everything or everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house, saying, uh, Neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Lord, we're thankful. We're thankful, Lord. You tell us to communicate, Lord, to tell others, Lord, all that you have done for us. And, Father, we thank you that you have... Lord, uh, like this man, similar to this man, but Lord, you have opened our spiritual eyes, and we thank you for that. And we're so thankful, Lord, we're able to see spiritual things, we're able to have a different perspective, a different understanding, Lord, as we, uh, Lord, uh, have your word hidden in our hearts. We're thankful, Lord, for the blessed Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that as we gather this morning, once again, Lord, to worship you, to recognize you, Lord, uh, just to give you thanks for all the wonderful things that you have brought. And Lord, I pray, Father, as we are still, Lord, in this beginning phase of this new year, Lord, give us vision. Lord, help us, we pray, to have understanding. Lord, to, uh, to know, Lord, what you would have us to do. Lord, how we're to walk. Lord, what we're to say. Lord, what we're to do, for Lord, you have put it in our hearts to glorify you and to honor you. Lord, uh, to bring recognition to your name. 
Lord, not to our name, not even to the name of the church, but to the Lord Jesus Christ, because, Lord, there is no other name under heaven whereby men and women must be saved. And so, Lord, we pray, you remind us, Lord, in the scripture, that now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. And, Lord, if that uh, question needs to be answered by anyone here today, Lord, uh, we pray you'd help them to do that. Lord, uh, we ask, Father, for open hearts. And we pray, Lord, for the blessed work of the Holy Spirit to be active today. Lord, uh, revealing to us the things of Christ. Lord, speaking to us in a personal way, as you have so many times before. So, Lord, we love you. Uh, we, we ask you to bless our children. We thank you that we have, Lord, dedicated servants to minister, to love on our kids. And, Lord, uh, how we pray that uh, they might come to know you, perhaps even earlier in life than we did. And so, Father, may your hand be upon this entire place today. Lord, uh, meet with us now, we ask, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, I think we've all heard that uh, phrase on the, the Verizon commercial, uh, can you hear me now? But I think the Lord kind of takes it up a notch, uh, and he's saying something similar to that. Uh, do you understand me now? And when you think about, you know, understanding, you know, God's plan, God's purpose, God's will, you know, for your life, man, that is so critical. That is so absolutely important. You know, when we, when we you know, look into this new year, uh, you know, we, we wonder what, you know, what's going to happen, what's going to take place, and we need vision. You know, we need the mind of Christ. Uh, we need to know what the Lord would have us to do. That's one of the things that we've been praying about this week. And, uh, and so when you look at the questions that we find in our text today, you know, as the Lord, you know, whenever he does, you know, put a question uh, to us, uh, it's always to make us think. And, and God's questions are so incredibly reasonable, aren't they? Uh, they're, they're always designed in a specific way uh, to get us to think about something uh, in relation to him, something that we need him to do in our life, uh, you know, something that he wants to do, you know, in our life and in our particular situation. I think there's a lot of things that the Lord, um, you know, wants to do, you know, in our lives. And, and we want to make sure, you know, what, we're in cooperation with him. Uh, that's what, in a sense, the word obedience means. It means that we're cooperative, we're yielded to him. You know, one of the key words of the book of Romans is yielded. And, uh, and we need to do that. And we need to continually, you know, just open up our lives and be yielded. Lord, what would, you know, it's, uh, what, what, I think Paul said that right after he got saved. What would thou have us made to do, Lord? And I think it's an ongoing uh, important issue for us that we always need to have that kind of an attitude. Lord, what do you have for me? Uh, do we say that, you know, in a sense when we get up every day, Lord, what do you have for me? And, to, you know, to, again, to understand God's specific purpose and design, you know, for our lives is so critical and so important. And I think Jesus touches on that uh, in this particular text. Now, here's the irony. Uh, the disciples oftentimes lacked understanding. We see that as we read the Gospels. You know, oftentimes, you know, they just um, kind of like they're behind, behind the eight ball. They're always, uh, you know, scratching their heads. You know, what does he mean? You know, type of thing. Uh, but there's an interesting contrast when you think about it because his enemies always understood what he was teaching. They always understood what he was said, yet they struggled with it. They wrestled against it. They, they understood exactly what he was saying. And, uh, you know, somebody asked the who was it, uh, W.C. Fields or one of those guys, um, you know, about, uh, uh, you know, about the Bible, you know, you know, 
uh, you know, do you, do you understand, you know, or what questions do you have about the Bible? He says, you know, the things that I really uh, wrestle, you know, relative to the Bible, the things I understand very clearly. And I think that's true with all of us, you know, when God is speaking. Uh, and there's something about, you know, when you read the Bible and the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, you know, he has a way of very specifically, you know, applying, you know, something, you know, in our life that we need to hear, you know, something that perhaps that he wants to do, or maybe something that can even be, in a sense, you know, prophetic. Now, as we come to verse 11, <clears throat> the Pharisees are always arguing with Jesus, always fault-finding, you know, always uh, critical of him, always trying to trap him or test him, you know, in some kind of way. And it's no different as we come to verse 11 here. We're told that they're disputing with him um, and that they're testing him. In other words, they didn't come with the right motive. You know, sometimes when, you know, someone comes to, you know, to Jesus, you know, with the right motive, you see how Jesus handles that. Uh, and, of course, he knows, you know, he understands uh, the motivation in people's hearts. Um, and these guys basically are, you know, they're just, <clears throat> they're there for the purpose of, you know, testing him, um, you know, getting him to say something, you know, that would, uh, you know, uh, where they could find fault with it. And so... Um, <clears throat> at this point, you know, what they're looking for, excuse me, what they're looking for <coughs> is a miracle. Now, he has performed hundreds of miracles. <clears throat> excuse me. It's not like there, <clears throat> there was a lack for miracle, any miracles in the, you know, in the ministry of Jesus. And, uh <clears throat> but there's something about hardened unbelief. That's why I think we should take a lesson, I think, from Jesus here, that it's important that we don't waste our time trying to convince people. Because if we can't convince them, the Holy Spirit can't convince them. Um, yes, we need to be patient with people. I understand that. Uh, sometimes uh, it may necessitate we invest some time, um, you know, as we want to lead somebody to Christ or we want to mentor somebody. Uh, but I think, too, sometimes uh, we need to be careful that we don't waste, you know, time you know, trying to convince people, you know, of the gospel, of Jesus Christ, the truth of it, and all that. Uh, and I think as we look at, you know, the Lord here, he says to them, no sign, you know, will be given, you know, uh, to this generation. And now remember, he said the only sign that he was going to, it got to a point after so many miracles, he said the only sign you guys are going to get is a sign of Jonah. And of course, Jonah was in the belly of the fish, what, for um, three days and three nights. And he was kind of maybe, I don't know if he was projected out, but uh, he basically came out. And it was a type of, in a sense, uh, it was a little metaphor for the resurrection. And Jesus is basically saying that the resurrection is going to be the ultimate sign of who I am. My power over the grave. My power over death. And, of course, we know that as a result of that, many, you know, I think we're told even in Acts chapter, maybe chapter 9 it might be, that many of the priests, many of those who were in opposition to Jesus, uh, you know, came uh, to Christ at that particular, you know, at that later date. And so, uh, but we see here that he leaves them in verse 13. He leaves and departs. And it's a sad day when Jesus has to just basically walk out of someone's life. He basically gets into a boat and he sails away. And that removes, in a sense, for any person because of hardened unbelief, it removes an opportunity for God to bless them. Anytime God just, you know, speaks into our life, anytime God just steps in, you know, to our circumstances, he always wants to, he comes with a blessing. He always wants to do something, you know, in our lives. 
if there's anything uh, we should be afraid of, uh, it, it's, you know, it, it's, it's the world. Um, never be afraid uh, or fearful, you know. And I think a lot of times people, you know, hold back. There's a fear sometimes when it comes to the Lord and to the things that he wants to do. It's as if, sometime, if somehow that if we just commit to him and surrender to him, uh, that it's going to diminish us in some way. But it's not. It's not going to diminish us at all. It's actually going to enlarge. I mean, we must never be fearful or afraid of committing ourselves or surrendering some area, some aspect of our lives. Uh, you know, when we come to Christ, he, you know, he comes into our heart. Uh, but there's a whole sanctification work that takes place, you know, over our lifetime and decades of things that we just have to surrender to him, things that we have to give up to him, things that we just have to entrust them uh, to him because he's the only one can really bring any kind of lasting change. Uh, the kind of change that we really long for, the kind of change that we need, but a lot of times we're just sort of fearful that somehow, you know, if I turn my life over to Jesus, I'll be a weirdo, um, or I'm not going to have fun, I'm not going to be able to enjoy my life. I'll tell you what, the greatest joys in life come from Him, amen? The greatest joys uh, and satisfaction really comes from walking with our Creator, the one who created us, you know, for a purpose, and that is to fellowship with Him, to know Him, and to experience Him to an ever-increasing and a deeper way, you know, in our particular experience. So don't, you know, the, the devil lies to us, and again, we just have natural fears. We have all kinds of natural fears, uh, you know, uh, and again, along the line, I think sometimes, that, you know, I'm not going to have any fun anymore. I want, ever to, I want to be able to enjoy my life. And, you know, sometimes, too, I think when, when we know miserable Christians, that doesn't help, you know, our committing ourselves to the Lord. We think, well, yeah, if I commit myself to the Lord, I'm going to be like him. You know, he's just, you know, he's so grumpy and miserable all the time, you know, type of thing. That's why I think it's important, you know, that our life is always a witness, you know, to those around us. Um, and I think it's very important. Uh, and again, joy, you know, joyfulness isn't always a silly kind of happiness, uh, but it, it's a joy, you know, it's a joy that we have from God. It's his peace. It's his joy that we can have, you know, deep within our life and deep within our spirit. Now, as we come to verse 14, <clears throat> you know, here now we, uh, Jesus here is, is going to, he's left there. He's with the disciples. You know, they're in the boat. They're going to the other side. And remember, Jesus is always teaching them. He's always trying to communicate to them and give them a, a deeper appreciation, understanding, uh, because there's going to come a day where he's going to leave them, and the Holy Spirit's going to come. And so all these things, I would imagine, at one particular time, <coughs> all these things taking place in their life, that they're going to be able to hark back and think about, you know, in the future, remember... You know, the Lord spoke that into our life. Remember, he, you know, taught us about that in this particular, you know, scenario or situation. And I think he chose certain disciples to make a point. As I look at these guys, and I realize that if God can use them, he can use anybody. And I've discovered this in my own life, that if God can use me, because I know, I know me. I know all my deficiencies. I know all my personal struggles. And, and because he has saved me, I have great hope, you know, for other people. You know, a lot of times people think, you know, what can, the, what, you know, what can God do with me? You'd be amazed. You'd be absolutely amazed what God can do, you know, with the person who has basically surrendered themselves and given themselves over to him. Because you know what? 
He knows exactly what each one of us need at any given time, you know, in our life. And so I think this whole matter of surrender really, isn't it a continual thing? Surrender, submission, whatever word you want to choose, committing. Uh, It's just basically giving ourselves over to him, you know, to be uh, a vessel through which he might work um, and do what he wants to do, you know, in the world. And he wants to work uh, many mighty things. Uh, And it's through just average, ordinary, normal, regular people like you and me. And so uh, the disciples, they give me incredible hope. Now, they forgot to take bread, we're told in verse 14. Uh, They had, you know, basically a loaf. And remember, he had, you know, performed uh, uh, the miracle feeding the the 4,000 there. uh, And previous to that, the 5,000. And so uh, he decides to give them a warning. And the warning was related to the fact that he had just been, you know, uh, facing off with the, uh, uh, the Pharisees. And, uh, and, and those guys were dangerous. They were dangerous because they were the religious authority, but they were, they were you know, they had missed the mark, you know, by a mile. Um, they were trying to control people. That can happen sometimes in religious circles, uh, that you get leadership that just simply wants to control people. Um, and that certainly that was taking place, you know, uh, in that scenario. So Jesus here is warning them about the, and he refers to it as the leaven, the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of, the, of Herod. And what that is basically, you, 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 you find that in the scripture, this thing of leaven uh, has a negative connotation to it. We find all the way back in the Passover, remember? During the Passover, they were to, take, they were to get all the leaven out of their house. They were to clean their house entirely from the leaven. Um, and, and as you, and, and leaven basically today is, is yeast, okay? If any of you ladies bake, my, my wife is always baking bread. Um, over the years, we've always had yeast in the refrigerator. And, uh, but the thing about yeast is that, uh, you know, it's a bacteria and it's a fungi. And uh, when you put it together with the other elements, it has a fermentation. Um, and you can see what it does to the dough after you let the dough sit for a while. Um, and, and, but, but the point I think Jesus is making is that the teaching of the religious authority of that day, of the, of the scribes and the Pharisees, that it was infectious. It had a fungi in it, so to speak. And he's warning them. Um, you know, the Bible speaks, sometimes refers to, um, you know, leaven as sort of a form of a pride. Uh, and it's those, it's those things that, you know, that we can embrace in our life. And I think, you know, when you think about uh, the leaven of the Pharisees, I think about, you know, in, in a sense today, you know, some of the teachings um, that can circulate through Christianity. I think you need to be careful. I think, I think you need to make sure that the things that you are believing and putting into your life are biblical. Uh, I, I've, you know, over the last 40 years, I've watched some of the, the trendy uh, things that go through the church that are not really biblical. Uh, and because there's, you know, things are, certain things are accepted within the Christian culture um, that everybody, you know, you know, seems to think, well, that's okay. Um, you know, our, our pastor, you know, uh, endorses this kind of thing. And I've watched, you know, some doctrines that have really infected people um, and, and, you know, done a disservice to their life. And so I think we need to be very careful of those kinds of things. Be careful of the Internet. I mean, there's good things on the Internet. Uh, But I've seen people get on some crazy um, concepts and ideas 
uh, on the internet. And before you know it, they're out of fellowship. They're not going to church. Um, you know, they've, uh, they've embraced something that uh, is really, uh, it, may, it may sound good, uh, but it may not be good. And again, if you've got questions about that, you know, talk to somebody. Talk to somebody in leadership. Talk to somebody who knows the Bible. But the other thing, too, he speaks about the leaven of Herod. Uh, the teaching there was basically political. There was a Rhodian party, but there was a political thing. And, and I, I want to caution you as a Christian, be careful that you don't get too political. Because you can get so aggravated, so caught up that what's going on politically, you know, in our world today, that you just find yourself seething with anger. I, I've, known, I've seen Christians like that. Now, I say that because I'm a political animal. I got to find out what's going on every night, okay? And, and I have found myself talking too much to the TV. And I think we need to be very, very careful. One of the dangers for me, and it's a danger for you, but in a different kind of way, but one of the dangers for me is to use my pulpit as a political bully pulpit. And, and the Lord has shown me is what happens if somebody from another political persuasion comes into the church and God wants to save them and I'm spewing just political stuff. And I think also, too, that we need to be mindful as individuals and we, you know, be careful of your conversations with people because sometimes folks will try to drag you into political argument there, there are some folks out there just like to argue. They like to argue. They like to prove their point, you know, kind of a thing. And, um, and there's a, there's a, there's a, a very uh, unhealthy, dynamic, political uh, situation. It's a powder keg. Maybe might be a better word uh, going on in our society and our culture. And, and, you know, we're called to pray for those uh, in leadership. Uh, I pray for people in leadership, and I also pray for God to remove certain people in leadership. Um, that, you know, it, it, it's a sword that cuts both ways. Um, you know, when I see people, you know, when I, you know, see some of the laws enacted in our state uh, against the unborn. Um, these are things that we need to be praying about, especially, you know, as we, this comes to me, yeah, today's, uh, um, you know, a pro-life uh, Sunday. And, uh, but there's a lot of things, you know, that are going to rub us the wrong way politically. And I think you better be very, very careful because you might blow a chance to share Christ with somebody. And here's what I discovered. You get people to Jesus Christ, he'll clean up their politics. He does a pretty good job, doesn't he? As he renovates our heart, he changes the direction. Uh, one, of the, one of the first things that happened to me as a believer. And, 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 and I didn't get any instruction from anybody on how, you know, what was the right political viewpoint. The Holy Spirit did it. As I look back at it now, you know, some uh, 45 years later, uh, you know, he did that, and he can do that in, in people's lives. You know, here's the thing. Here's the deal, folks. Every political system is going down because there's a kingdom coming, and there's a king coming, and we are his ambassadors and we are his front people. We are his advanced men and women. And we are to be telling people about the king and the kingdom and what God wants to do in their life.
And again, when you get such an astute politically, you're all kind of bound up with that. And you're not even, you're, you're missing, you know, we're missing our mission, you know, to bring people to the king. Because that's the one they need within their life that will help them and wonderfully change them. So again, the teaching here, this leaven, when we see it, uh, it's a corrupting influence is really what it means. Uh, just like, again, uh, yeast is, is, is a, a fungi, it's a bacteria. There are teachings out there that will infect your life in the wrong way. We want our lives to be affected, not infected, but affected in the right way. And the Bible will do that uh, for us as we um, understand it in the right way. So they reasoned, we're told in verse 16, among themselves, as Jesus here was warning them, it is because we have no bread. Uh, but Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? So we see the t- disciples, which was so typical, man, they just really didn't get it. And, and you get a sense that there's, fi- there's nine questions that Jesus kind of fires off in staccato kind of way, that he's a little bit bugged with them. Um, because, you know, they're just, uh, he's there, he's God in the flesh, he's investing his life in them 24-7. Uh, and it was just, you know, sort of a, a spiritual density, if you will, a spiritual insensitivity that was taking place here. Because when you look at this hardening, this is not a hard, this is not an unbelief kind of hardening. You know, we're, we're the unbelief, you know, unbeliever, just, I'm, he's hardened, you know, his unbelief. This is, I think, the hardening that takes place in any one of our lives. It's just a natural kind of a, a callousness that, that happens because we just get caught up in life. We just get caught up in life. And, and, uh, and it's amazing, isn't it, how quickly we can just drift, you know, away, you know, from the Lord, you know, from things that we know to be true. We get, you know, we get, uh, uh, you know, just we get all caught up. We get all distracted. And I think there's a certain kind of hardening uh, that comes. Uh, and I think it comes all the more so. Uh, for those who know Christ, but there's not a constant intake. That's why, you know what? You need the Word of God in your life. We need the Scripture to, because the Scripture is a cleanser. It's a cleanser. Um, it'll come, it'll, it'll, it'll wash. You know, that's why you know, the, Paul speaks about the washing of the water of the Word. It'll wash those things out of our lives. Just like every day. Um, and, and particularly with this kind of this time of year, we're all wash, we're washing our hands. I don't know how many times a day I wash my hands, and uh, we even put things on the wall here so you can keep your hands clean and that sort of thing. Um, and we just realize how easy it is, you know, to pick up things in our hands. And it's also that easy as well to pick up certain things, you know, in our lives from our culture, from our society, from what we see on the computer, what we see on the TV, what you know. Um, what bounces, you know, off, you know, off of the world because, you know, we're in the workaday world. You know, we're, we, we can't help it uh, unless we're in a Christian context. You know, we're around, we're around unbelievers. And these things, whether we realize it or not, they have an influence. They influence, to, influence us to some kind of degree. So we need a constant diet, you know, to, 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 you know, to eat, to partake, you know, on the Word of God and let the Word of God just cleanse and work, you know, within our hearts within our lives. Now, we come to verse uh, 22 in Jesus. Uh, if some of you were in Israel, we go to Capernaum, and uh, Bethsaida is one of those cities that uh, does not exist anymore. There's some uh, ruins there. I've been there. But remember, it was one of the cities that Jesus pronounced a woe on. 
because of what he had done there and his miracles and so forth that he had done there. And so Jesus comes to Bethsaida. Bethsaida means house of fish. And perhaps it was a, maybe a processing village right there by, by Capernaum, Capernaum right there on the water. And maybe it was just a place where they processed fish and, and that sort of thing. And so he comes there and remember Jesus. And of course, you know, he says to the disciples at one point, you know, I'm going to make you fishers of men. But he was the greatest fisher of men, wasn't he? He was always looking, you know, in a sense, to, uh, you know, to, throw, the, to throw the bait out there. Um, and I think that's an important thing for you and I to do, you know, in conversation with people, to throw something out there, a Christian statement. Um, you know, sometimes uh, when, uh, when some sports figures, you know, related to the sports that I like, uh, when, they're giving a, when, they're, when, they're, when they're conversing, I look for certain key words. You know, they talk about being blessed, um, you know, or about, you know, what, you know, what God done for them. And, uh, and, and we're in, the, you know, the NFL playoffs, and I'm always watching, you know, for the team that wins, uh, who's going to, you know, which one of these guys are Christian, which one, which one uh, being Christian, are they going to make a statement, are they going to witness, you know, for the Lord. And I think it's important that, you know, when we converse and interact with people, that we kind of throw a little bait out there, something about the God to see if they're going to respond to it. And maybe they're a Christian, and if, usually if they're a Christian, you throw something out there in a conversation, they kind of pick up on it right away, you know, type of thing. And so they, they come here to Bethsaida, uh, and they, whoever they are, uh, they brought a blind man to him and begged him, um, begged Jesus, that he might touch him. Um, you know, when you think about being blind, it's, it's a natural state of man, isn't it? Um, and there's a blindness that comes naturally. Um, that uh, when the Lord comes into our life, all of a sudden, uh, we see things from a different perspective. Our, our, that our eyesight hasn't changed, uh, but spiritually, the, the blinders have been lifted, and all of a sudden, we begin to see spiritual realities. And it's like um, it's uh, it's, uh, it's like what Paul says there in Second uh, Corinthians five, I think it's seventeen. You know, if anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation. Uh, old things are passed away. Uh, behold, all things become new. All things, verse 10, verse uh, uh, 18 rather says, all things are of God. Because all of a sudden you start seeing God everywhere. Remember that? When you first got saved, you start seeing God everywhere. You start seeing Him in everything. Uh, and that's because the life of God has come into us. But you know the world. That's why you, know, you, you go out there and you witness and you tell people about Jesus. And they look at you like, oh, what's happened to you? You know, kind of a thing. Yeah, they, they, there's that deer in the headlights kind of a look. Oh, because you start sometimes, and I think sometimes we just, and the Lord may even be leading us to do that, we start speaking about spiritual realities, and it's like they don't even have any idea of what that could be. And they're kind of looking at you like that. Well, you know, what is it that you're talking about? And we have to remember, they're blind. They can't hear God. And, and it's only when the Lord begins to work in their lives um, and, and reveal himself, does, does a person, you know, understand that, hey, all of a sudden I'm thinking about spiritual things, I'm thinking about God. And it was just, in a sense, I don't know how long it took you to come to Christ. Sometimes it takes, a, it's a process, sometimes it takes a long time. But the first time I heard of God, of Jesus Christ, in the context of the gospel, and I needed to be saved, was a Friday morning when, when my wife got saved the night before, and she gets up in the morning, and all of a sudden, she's changed. She's talking about Jesus. And I was barraged. For the, 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 I was put, 
I was sort of put with, under a grow lamp, uh, you know, for like three days, that whole weekend. And it was that Monday, that Monday I was in uh, the dental laboratory that I worked for in my office, and I was just, and, and, and I wasn't, you know, the weekend before, I wasn't thinking about God. Even five days before, I wasn't thinking about God. But all of a sudden, all this truth was poured into my life. And, and I'm wrestling back and forth all day long. And finally, I capitulated. Finally, I said, okay, God of your God. And it was one of those, I don't even remember, like, I, like it, was, it was real. I don't really know how sincere I felt. I, I guess it was sincere because I got saved. But it was the intensity of all of that coming, you know, in, you know, to my life in a very powerful, a very wonderful, awesome way. And, uh, and again, it's, it's the Holy Spirit, it's God, you know, that opens our eyes to see those spiritual realities. And remember that one of the things that was prophesied about Christ, about Messiah, that he will, he'll open the eyes of the blind. And that wasn't just like this case is, you know, those who are physically blind, even more so those who are spiritually blind. And, I, you know, when you think about here, they come to him begging him. That's what we've been doing in a sense all week, hasn't it? Praying. And I do beg him. I do. I get on, I, you know, I get on my knees. Not every time I pray. But usually when I'm by myself, I do. And I just, I... <laughs> The Lord got me up about 4 o'clock in the morning one day this week. And just, you know, when you wake up and you're just wide awake, just like that. And all of a sudden, there's a passion in my heart. And it wasn't for people that were close to me that I was praying for. But there are people that I know that are in a greatly difficult way. They're not Christians. And I know it was the Lord because I'm not going to get up 4 o'clock in the morning to pray for just anybody, all right? But my arm went up in the air. That's one of my signature things when I'm praying with the Lord, you know, especially in bed. I don't know what it is, but especially in bed, I start because maybe it's because I'm laying down. I want to at least signal I'm alive. <laughs> you know, yes, Lord. Yes, I'm here. I'm awake, you know, kind of a thing. But I was just, you know, just praying for and there's a few people that, that, that are related to you guys here. I'm not going to tell you the name. But I knew it was the Lord. And, and it was a passion. I was begging him. I was begging him for intervention. And I know when the Lord gets me up like that, or any of us up like that, and he gets us praying for certain people, you know, he's going to answer prayer. He's going to work. And, and the, the other thing I see here, too, I think in the same way, you know what? We need to bring people to Jesus. Bring him to church. You know, bring him to a Bible study. Bring him to a Christian gathering. You know, wherever God's people are, you know what? There's an exposure there that we need. They may feel a little bit uncomfortable, and you may sense it. But that's only because they're not saved yet. Uh, there, there's, there's a gal in this church. She's always dragging somebody to church. I love it. I just love it. And so in any way that you can, you know, you want to influence them. Uh, I always like what Pastor Chuck says. 
about growing up. He says, you know, when I was young, I had a drug problem. And that is I was always drugged to church every Sunday. <laughs> and I, that's, you know, that, that was one thing, you know, when sometimes, you know, parents say to me, well, my kids don't want to go to church. Bring them to church. That's okay. I, I always told my kids, you know, you live under my roof. God's feeding you. God's taking care of you. You're coming to church. <laughs> and you know what? It did them good. It did them good. Nobody was, nobody was, nobody was forcing, you know, anything down their throat, but we were, we were giving them an opportunity, exposure, you know, to God and to God's people, and it's a good thing. So here they bring him uh, to the Lord and beg him to touch him. What is interesting to me is how the Lord heals this guy. It's kind of a progressive two-part healing. And, you know, I, I think the first time I read this, I was like, well, Lord, what is that? I mean, you're God. You, you, could have, you could have done it just bam like that. It could have been done. But remember, whenever, whenever God does something in a certain way, he's teaching us something. He's showing us something. And again, he knows what every, you know, when you look at his miracles, and when you look at what God does in everybody's life, you know what? It's individually tailored to each one of our lives. He knows our personality. He knows our vulnerabilities. He knows our weaknesses. He knows exactly what it is that we need. And he's going to apply that. And we see that here in this particular story. So he takes the blind man by the hand, leads him out of town, perhaps maybe to be alone with him. Uh, and when he had spit on his eyes, I always thought that was an interesting way of healing people, you know. You know, did he just kind of spit in his eye? I don't know. I don't know. He put his hands on him. He asked him if he saw anything. He looked up and he said, I see men like trees walking. When you come to the Bible, there's no standard methodology or formula to the way God heals when you look at all the different ways that Jesus healed, they're, they're all different, and, and, and he wanted it to be that way. And there's a few thoughts I want to share with you before we, uh, before we close on this whole matter and issue of healing. And the first one is this. God doesn't heal everybody. Okay? If he doesn't heal them, it's a, he's got a purpose in that. And, and I highlight... Um, Paul in the Bible. He had a thorn in the flesh, and he doesn't tell us what exactly that condition was, but it was a physical condition. And remember, it tells us there he prayed thrice or three times, which was a metaphor, means I kept praying and praying and praying and praying about this. And the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my strength is going to be, you know, you know with your weakness, you're going to receive my strength. Uh, Timothy, God says to Timothy, excuse me, Paul says to Timothy, Take a little wine for your stomach's sake. In other words, the wine, the application of wine there was medicinal. Johnny Erickson Tata. Diving accident, uh, severe spinal injury. She never walked again. Uh, quadriplegic for the rest of her life. That diving accident took place in 1967 as she jumped off of a, of a pier in the Chesapeake Bay. I've read a, number, I've read a lot of her stuff. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, somebody 
I gave somebody a recommendation between services. Um, if you want to read some, you want to get a great sampling of some of her stuff, uh, get a devotional. Because um, she speaks, she speaks uh, and shares out of her suffering, you know, out of the difficulty that she's had. And she's not only had, you know, that condition. Uh, she's had breast cancer. Um, she's been through really deep waters. And I really respect, you know, people like that. But early on, she went to every kind of healing service, you know, there was, you know, hoping and trusting, you know, and, and praying that God would heal her. But that wasn't what God had for Johnny Erickson Tata. And look at the ministry he had for her. Man, man, she's got an international uh, ministry uh, of taking wheelchairs to people all, and, and she shares some of those testimonies and stories, um, you know, of, of uh, you know, how God has used her. Uh, sometimes um, she would have this really odd wheelchair, and it just seemed like it didn't work for anybody. And then they're about to close up shop here at, at, at some place, some country, uh, you know, as they, you know, had their, uh, their, their meetings, and, you know, hundreds of people would come, you know, uh, you know, we take for granted uh, the fact of, you know, we can get a wheelchair. That's nothing for us. You know, we just don't want to be in a wheelchair. But think about the, I mean, the people that are crippled don't even have a wheelchair. And, uh, and here comes this, and here comes this uh, father and mother, and they have, their, they have their little boy, and he's crippled. And the wheelchair was just too small for everybody, and everything was perfect about this wheelchair for this little boy. And just, you know, just stuff like that. Um, and again, God chose in his sovereignty not to heal her, but to use her life in a very powerful uh, way. And, uh, and again, if he doesn't heal somebody, he's got a higher purpose than that. We don't think of this, but, you know, the ultimate healing for somebody may be to go home and be with the Lord. You know, we don't think in those terms, but that could be. It will be for us one day, for all of us. That'll be the ultimate healing. And I'll tell you what, when we get there, we won't want to come back. I'm convinced of that. We will not want to come back to this. Um, number two, God does heal, and he tells us to pray for it. That's why we pray for healing. We pray for healing all the time. Uh, one of the gals came up to me between services. She said, do you remember? She had gone to a doctor, and the doctor said, you will not have children. I'm sorry. You and your husband will not have children. And, and, and like 10 years ago, she came in here all distraught about it. She said, well, let's pray for you. And, uh, and somehow she said, I want three children. And uh, uh, we, we prayed for her. She had a boy, and uh, she said, well, I'd really like to have three kids. And we prayed for her again, and she had twins. <laughs> she says, I wanted three, but didn't want two at one time, you know, kind of thing. Well, you know, you have to take what God gives you, all right? <clears throat> uh, li listen to James uh, when we talk about uh, healing and praying for that. He says, uh, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him or her, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick 
and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, uh, he will be forgiven. So confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And so again here we have encouragement uh, to come to the leadership of the church, um, especially if it's a physical thing, to get anointed with oil that we might pray. And I'll tell you what, over the years, I've seen the Lord heal a lot of people. I've seen him heal a lot of people, but he doesn't heal everybody. And remember, if he doesn't, uh, he has got a higher purpose in it. Um, and you've got to trust him, you know. Um, our will sometimes is not his will. And that's where we have to just simply trust and um, discover that God is faithful. Now, third thing. Is it a lack of faith to seek medical uh, solution? No. Not at all. I think some cults have uh, really, uh, it's been hurtful to uh, people. Like, for instance, uh, I, think it's, I think it's Jehovah Witnesses where you're not, you can't get a blood transfusion and uh, children have died. And it's, it's tragic. It, it's sad. Um, I, I think that uh, I'll, I, I, use, uh, I'm, I go to doctors all the time. Uh, I have a whole array of medical, you know, of uh, prescriptions and things at home. But the thing is, too, re regarding medicine, uh, medicine is fine, but you know what? Pray with your taking of medicine. Um, you know, it could be that um, we don't want to take it too long. Uh, certain medications. I'm very careful. I am very careful. I have got a, I've got so many prescriptions in my, my, my house that I've had to throw away because I'm not going to use them. Because uh, after I research them, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to take that because it might have some kind of impact, you know, later in my life. And I think we need to be careful about that. I think, I think it's prudent if you're taking medications. And yeah, we, we are certain medications we should take and we can take. Uh, but research it. And uh, um, I, I've got, uh, personally, I, I have got, uh, uh, my liver is in very bad shape. And I don't know if it's from Agent Orange in Vietnam or whatever the case, but the doctors told me I have a, I have, uh, uh, a very, you know, severe uh, liver condition. So for me, that means I don't take ibuprofen. I don't take acetaminophen. I don't take those kind of things uh, that are going to hurt me in that kind of way. I just have to, you know, find some other way to have to deal with it. Number four, this man's healing comes in two parts. Um, and again, God's healing work in your life may be slow. It may be progressive. And I was thinking, why would that be? Why would that be? I think because, and I've seen, I've seen the Lord do this for people. He, he heals their marriage or heals their situation, and they walk away. They walk away, you never see him again. And I think if God allows this progressive kind of thing in our life, it's to keep us close to him. God wants us to be dependent upon him. And you know what? We're kind of independent, aren't we? We are basically independent creatures, uh, but God wants us, he wants to, us to be ever, to draw ever closer to him. And, and that happens, I think, um, in a default kind of way as you get older, okay? You can't help getting older, and you realize you're more vulnerable, you're weaker here, uh, you can't do the things you used to do, so you just become all the more dependent. But I also do want to encourage you young people. Uh, it's, it's real wisdom, you know, to, to, to just cast yourself upon the Lord. Uh, you, know, you know, one of the things that people sometimes will say to us as Christians, well, what, well you know, what, what's this God thing? Is that your crutch? Yeah. 
Yeah, that is my crutch. What's your crutch? Everybody's got a crutch. Everybody has a crutch. It's just a different kind of thing. And I'll tell you what, to have the two in the living God as your crutch, man, we are blessed, aren't we? I'll take two crutches. <clears throat> Three crutches, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, number five, uh, he, spits it, he spits in his eyes. Now, was that, to, was that to challenge his sensitivities? Well, it would challenge ours, wouldn't it? I don't know if that was some kind of a cultural thing, maybe, uh, that they did back then. Um, it's very possible. But uh, there are things sometimes that God uses to just simply challenge. Uh, he wants to do it. He's going to do it, but he may not do it. Uh, again, he may just do it to just sort of challenge, you know, our ideas in a certain kind of way. And an example of that is a guy named Naaman. Remember Naaman in the Old Testament? Uh, he was a Syrian general. Great guy, great general, but he was a leper. And uh, he had done some raids on Israel. And one of the raids, he brought back a little Israeli girl, and she became the maid, a little slave girl, basically. She became the maid of his wife. And one day she says to Naaman's wife, would to God that my master could go to Israel because the prophet down there would heal him. And she's referring to Elijah, excuse me, Elisha, the prophet. So, the, so uh, the wife tells Naaman. Naaman goes in and tells the king. king says, okay, I'm going to give you a bunch of silver, gold, changes of clothes. I'm going to give a letter to the king down in Israel. And so he sends him down to Israel and, and hands uh, the letter to the king there in Samaria. And uh, the, king, the, the, southern, the kings in that part of Israel are very ungodly men. I forget which king it was. Um, but he hands him this letter, and the letter says, you know, I'm sending you know, my general Naaman down there. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, I want you to heal him. And so uh, you can only imagine what the king thought. He said, you know, who am I, God? You know, who am I to, to, can I heal anybody? Elisha gets word. And he says, send this message to the king. Is there a God in Israel? Is there a God in Israel? And the king says, well, yeah. And the king says, you know, send him to me. So he comes to Elijah, gets to the house, and he's a general. You know, they, they, you know um, he's right next to the king, and, and, and these guys, like their pomp, their ceremony, and all that kind of thing. And so Elisha says, and God knew this, Elisha said to his servant Gehazi, he said, just go out and tell him to go down to the Jordan River and dunk seven times. He goes out and tells him. He, he goes into a fit of rage. And he begins to walk away. And he says, why, do, why would I want to go down to the muddy Jordan? Why would I go down, want to go down there and dip in, the, in, you know, in that river for seven times? He says, I could, I could have dipped in the clean, beautiful rivers up in uh, Damascus in Syria. And one of his wise attache says, well, 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 he says, Father. He says, if he had told you to do some great and difficult thing, wouldn't you have done it? Because he expected Elisha, Elisha to come out and do a rain dance and, you know, um, you know, declare, you know, something special and, you know, raise his hands and all that and, and to make a big thing out of it. And what God was dealing with was this man's pride. He was dealing with this man's pride. And he walked away in a rage and someone spoke some common sense to him. And so I imagine he just kind of stomped down there to the Jordan River, boom, 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 boom. 
And he was probably embarrassed. You know, here I am, seven times. Everybody's watching him, you know, kind of thing. And, the, and if you've ever been to the Jordan, it's pretty muddy. You know, and, and he's like, how am I going to get clean? You know, a lot of times when God says he wants to do something and he tells you, I want you to do this, you can argue with that all you want. It says he dipped seven times and he came up and his flesh was like a baby. You see, there are things that God may use to challenge, you know, our rationale. We try to, you know, again, God tells us to do something. We want to figure it all out before we do it. Forget it. Forget it. Remember how Abraham is commended. And it said that he was called to go to a place where he didn't know where he was going. And here's somebody who was established in life. He was about seven years old when God told him to do that. And he will challenge us in different areas as well. He knows exactly how we think. And uh, verse 25, he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and he saw Everyone, clearly. I love that. I love what Christ does when we open up our lives and we allow him to do what he wants to do. And as I was thinking about this, you know, the word restoration, because that was prophetic of Christ. And over in Isaiah 58, 12, Isaiah 58, 12, you don't have to turn there because I'm not going to turn there. But you might want to just write it down, turn to there later. It said about Jesus Christ that he will rebuild He will raise up, he will repair, and he will restore. So before we close in prayer, if there's something in one of those categories that you're praying and asking the Lord to do, maybe for you or even for somebody else, I want to have you stand. If you want prayer for that, something that needs to be repaired, something that needs to be rebuilt, something that needs to be resurrected, something that needs to be restored, Because this is the God we know. This is the God we serve. That he is faithful. And he does things. He raises, maybe you need, maybe you need a Lazarus. That's something that has been just sort of dead and written off. And you're asking the Lord, Lord, intervene here. Lord, help. And Lord, we do. We come before you because you're a great God. You're a great God. You're a great Father. You're a wonderful Savior. You're an awesome Comforter. Lord, you're everything that we need. And we as your people, we come before you this morning recognizing your Lordship. Recognizing, Lord, to commit, to surrender, to give our life, to give our circumstances to you in prayer. Lord, it's the reasonable thing to do. And Lord, you see each one of these dear people, Lord, your church, your flock, each one that has stood. Lord, you know our needs. You know the things that need to be fixed. You see broken hearts, Lord. And Lord, we give these things to you whether it's ourself or even somebody else that's on our mind and heart right now. Lord, we thank you, thankful that you are the God who can 
rebuild the old waste places. Lord, you can repair broken things. You can repair broken hearts, broken lives. Lord, you can resurrect. Lord, perhaps there needs to be the resurrection of love that maybe has died because of wounding and mistreatment. Lord, we get to a point oftentimes, Lord, where our love or our ability to forgive, Lord, we hit a wall. And so we're thankful, Lord, we can call upon you that you're the God who can restore things. You tell us in Joel that you'll restore the years that the caterpillar and the, the locust have eaten, things that have been eaten away, that you are the great restorer. And so, Father, we believe you. We trust you. We love you. And we do, Lord, because of who you are. You are so great. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for resurrection power that, Lord, you impart to your people. And so, Father, we commit these, a week of prayer, Lord, the many prayers, many impossible situations we face. But you're the God of the impossible. You're the God who can give breakthrough and new beginning. And you're the God who can heal. So, Lord, we look to you, blessed Father, and thanking you, Lord, you care for us. And, and we believe that even more than we want to pray, you want to answer prayer. So, Father, I pray as we go forth, not only this week, Lord, as we begin this new year, Lord, we look to you. Be our help. Lord, be our dynamic. Lord, give us power over areas, Lord, where there's been defeat and struggle. We thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you're going to do. We believe that. And we ask it, Father, not in any righteousness of our own, but in the righteousness and because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen.